now's the time to do it and to represent it's been a long time and so i wanted to just spend a few minutes with you because when i was asked to serve in this position i did so and accepted that very sensitively because i loved caitlin very much and you don't know me and i don't know you but i want to get to know you and of course covid happened and nobody got to know anybody and i felt very strongly during that year this idea that the lord kept bringing back to me again and again through the year and that's kind of what sort of inspired the theme for this conference which is what do you have to lose now what's amazing about covid and that whole pandemic experience, which I know, at least for me, if anybody said, oh, there was something amazing in it, I would kind of look at them a little bit funny because none of it felt amazing, amen? And yet, what is amazing about it, it is the first time in our lifetimes that the entire world has been on the same page at the same time, experiencing the same We've all faced loss, we all faced grief, we all saw how quickly the world can change drastically in an instant. And I have to say, if any of you made it out without losing something, you are doubly blessed. But all of us, I think, have been touched in some way or another by this past year. And I'm not just talking losing people, but losing my joy and losing my security and feeling afraid because what if I lose my job and what's gonna happen tomorrow and are we ever gonna be free? Thank God I can actually see your faces. There was a time that I thought I was gonna lose your faces. When we are facing that feeling of loss, and the Bible is, is amazing because it addresses those moments, and it addresses those times, and we can quote scripture and say, well, in Hebrews it talks about getting rid of every weight and sin and encumbrance that clings to us and holds on, and that's all true. That's all very real. But what's amazing about those verses, and it's in Hebrews chapter 12, I believe, verses 1 and 2, is that when you get rid of the weight and the encumbrances and the snares and it says and all those things that distract looking to Jesus looking to our Savior and what's so amazing about that is that in another part of the Bible it says that God will lead us with his eye now, I don't know of any way to be led by someone's eye unless I'm looking them in the face. The only way, and I grew up in the South, and I'm just going to tell you, my mama would be on the platform playing. Aren't the musicians wonderful? Let's give them a hand. And the singers, y'all are wonderful. I love you so much. And I'm just going to be real with you for a minute. Whenever I'd start cutting up in the audience, I know, this shocks you all. 
But my grandma would nudge me and say, your mama's looking at you. Which you always hoped that she was bluffing. Because if mama saw you from the platform and was giving you the eyes, you better hope she forgot what you were doing when you got home. But the only way I could feel the heat of that gaze was if I was looking for my mama's face. And so all of these things that the world is trying to distract us with, with whether it's politics or COVID or the new Delta virus or the fear of losing a job, the fear of losing a family member, the fear of losing my health, the fear of losing whatever it may be that the enemy is trying to distract you with, the fears, the anxieties, the depression, the hopes, the dreams. The Lord said, if you will shake those things off and you'll start looking me in the face. He said, the more you look at me, the more I'm going to lead you so that the more you see my face, your face reflects me. And you know what? This COVID pandemic has shown us we are in the last days. Amen. We've got a world to save and we've got a world to reach. And the only way that we can give them the hope that we have, that hope that is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, is if I've been looking him so long in the face that what people see is no longer someone who's afraid of tomorrow, but they see the one who holds tomorrow. They don't see the one who is afraid and losing her peace. They see the one who's been given the peace. The peace that passes all understanding. The peace that made and brought Jesus through crucifixion to resurrection. I think I need to say that one more time because Jesus was very specific about the peace that he gave. He said, my peace I give to you. My peace, not just peace in general, which peace in general is wonderful. But he said, I'm going to give you my peace. Peace that the world doesn't understand. Peace that the world can't comprehend. Peace that the Republicans, the Democrats, the socialists, the communists, whatever you want to say, Fox, CNN. I don't watch the news for very good reason. There's no peace. But I am so glad to know that my peace is his peace. His peace that passes all understanding, that saw the cross, saw the crucifixion, saw the beatings, saw the death, saw the stabbing, went through all of that knowing what was going to happen. And I got to be honest with you, for me, I don't know if I would rather know my future. I don't know if I knew in March or February last year, hey, this is what's coming. I don't know that I'd have felt any better about it. I think that whole time leading up to it, I'd have been even more nervous. I'd have been even more upset. And what's amazing is Jesus said, I know what's coming. He was in the garden knowing. And he said, that peace that brought me through being falsely accused, 
through facing tormentors who had nothing to do with me and were just trying to stop what my father set up. Facing all of those things, he said, I will endure and I'm giving you that peace because at the end of the crucifixion, and I tell you, the entire COVID pandemic year felt like a crucifixion for me. Maybe y'all weathered it and it was all resurrection for you. But I felt like I was just laid out before the Lord. And he said, look, that peace that brought me through that, I'm going to give that to you. I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to change it. Because at the end of the crucifixion, at the end of my rope, when I can't take any more, there's a resurrection. And not just any old resurrection. He got himself up out of that grave. He moved the stone himself. And so whatever you're facing tonight, whatever you have to lose, let me encourage you, Hyphen of Ohio, that God has got a resurrection experience for each and every one of us here this evening. That we're not only going to take and receive here, but we're going to take to our local churches. We're going to take to our jobs. We're going to take to our schools. We're going to take it to the store. We're going to take it everywhere we go because this world is in desperate need of a resurrection experience and the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. And so because I have shared you my heart and I don't want to delay the word anymore, but I want to tell you, you may be seated. Brother Baron Longstreth has been good friends and Sister Raina of ours for a long time. And I will tell you, without a doubt, he is an anointed speaker of God. And I know beyond all shadow of a doubt, he has a word from the Lord for all of us this evening. He is a pastor in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He has three wonderful children, and they are a talented, dynamic duo. I want you to be sure I, on Instagram, we do have a schedule outline for tomorrow. Sister Raina, who has joined him, um, will be speaking at one of our split sessions. Any hyphen leaders, I'd love to meet you in one of those sessions. Sister Sheena Showstrand Post and her husband, Brother David Post, are also speaking in a session, so you've got options tomorrow. So I hope you have come hungry tonight and hungry tomorrow, and let the Lord satisfy. Brother Barron. Praise the Lord, everyone. Amen. Stand with me. I know you've probably been worshiping all night. I've been stuck on an airplane in an airport just about all day, breathing stale air, trying to get some leg room. And I just want to give God glory for just a moment. I want to feel the strength of what's been going on here the last hour or so. I wonder if you could help me, if you could usher me into the presence of the Lord. Instead of it going from pulpit to the pew, I wonder if it could go from the pew to the pulpit. Would you entertain the power, the glory, the majesty? Come on, Ohio hyphen. Let's lift up the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I am here 
to glorify the name that is above every name. I honor you tonight. I love you, Jesus. And I am so very grateful to be in your presence. I'm so very grateful to rub shoulders with this generation. Lord, I believe that your calling and your election is being made sure on every life that is represented in this conference this weekend. And I magnify you in advance. I thank you in advance. I worship you in advance. Why don't we clap our hands to the King of glory? God. It's very wonderful to be here. I count it a high privilege uh, to be with this great district, with each and every one of you. I'm assuming that the congregation, this crowd here tonight, has come all across from this great state. So there's a fine representation of what the future of Ohio is looking like right here in this place. Thankful to be with Sister Caitlin Showstrand, this great director. I honor you. I honor your vision. Amen. It is good to have my precious bride here with me. Amen. We were able to travel together. We had our, our, our family camp was this week, and so it was a very busy week there in Oklahoma. And... Uh, it was a good week. Brother Mark Morgan did a phenomenal job, and uh, Brother Terry Shock, and it was just a great week. Amen. I want to take your attention, if you'll allow me, to Mark chapter number five. On the way here in the airplane, I was seeking the face of the Lord underneath my mask. People don't think you're crazy when you got a mask on and you're praying out loud. And so I was seeking the face of the Lord. It's kind of a crazy day. And uh, I just said, Lord, I want to do what you need me to do tonight. That's nothing more. I don't want to do anything more. Just simply that. And I want each and every one that is represented in this place here tonight to walk away understanding the favor of God that is on your life the call of God that is deep inside each and every one of you. Do you believe that you're a world changer? I need to see your hands if you believe. I honestly want to know, do you believe that you could change the world? My follow-up question, I know you're standing. My follow-up question would be, why would you not believe that? When the King of glory, the one who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all, dwells inside of you. That king wants to use your mouth. He wants to use your hands. He wants to use your feet. He wants to use your abilities. And I'll tell you this, he is not afraid of your inabilities. Peter walked on the water. He had to muster up. He had to make the decision to say, I'm going out onto the water. That was his ability, but his inability was to be able to hold himself upright when he was on that water. God needs our all, does he not? And he needs our nothing, what we're willing to give him. 
Amen. That which we do not have the ability to do. Man, that's comforting to me. It really is. Mark chapter number 5. The Bible says that Jesus went with him, talking about Jairus's situation on the way for his daughter. And as he went with him, the Bible says that much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman which had an issue of blood 12 years had suffered many things of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was nothing better but rather grew worse. But there's a changing point as there always is. And it was when her faith reacted to what she had heard of Jesus Christ. She came in the press behind. She touched his garment. And I like how the Bible almost gives us a little bit of a past right here at the present. For she said, tells you what she did and then it tells you why she did it. If I may touch but his clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up. And she felt in her body that she had been healed of that plague. And immediately, Jesus knew in himself that virtue had gone out of him. He turned about in the press and he simply stated, Who touched my clothes? Who is it that touched my clothes? That's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Who touched me? Who touched me? Amen. I know you've been praising and praying, so I'm going to let you be seated in the name of the Lord. I am very excited to be with you. Forgive my summer cold. Amen. So I don't, uh, I don't remember all of the upgrades to the Ohio campground, but the Oklahoma campground sits out at 60 acres. It's dry. It's very dry out there. There's cedar trees everywhere. And I go to camp feeling great, and I, I step away from camp with no voice and sweating to death. It's been a great week. Amen. So uh, the context of the story is pretty simple. If you've read this story, which I'm assuming you have probably many times, you're going to see the, the favor and the faith of an individual. It is one woman against a crowd, just a solitary woman. And the woman decides after trying everything else. The Bible says that she had done everything that she could possibly do. Every physician. She had tried every loophole. She had tried every opportunity that arose up. She, she had utilized that opportunity. And after everything, she finally, the Bible declares, heard that Jesus Christ was going to be in the vicinity. And the Bible declares that she had set in her heart that I will reach out and I will touch the hem of that garment. The specific nature of where she aimed, I've heard it stated so many times. What if she would have touched his heart? What would have happened if she would have touched his heart? What would have happened if she would have not just touched the hem of his garment but grabbed a hold of his garment? But rather, I bring to your attention and for your consideration tonight the fact that she was very intentional about what she did. Make no mistake about it. It wasn't that the garment was 
or the hem of the garment was the only thing accessible, although it would probably have been very difficult to get to Jesus. First and foremost, she is unclean. How many realize that? She is not able to worship publicly and openly. She is not able to attend the Sunday services, if you would, because of her condition. She would be a social outcast. She would be uh, somebody that would have to stay beyond. And there's a reason for that. The issue of blood that she was dealing with was something that would have declared her and everyone would have known that this woman was not fit to be where she was. And she sure was not fit to pursue where she was going. And she sure was unfit to touch the hem of that garment. But the desire of this woman is that I cannot stand the fact that one more moment of my life is going to be spent. Not a solitary moment is going to pass me by. I am tired. I am sick. I'm perturbed that I've been in this situation for 12 years. And so she determines that she is going to touch the hem of that man's garment. These three words, who touched me, ought to be etched in this woman's heart forever. It was a changing moment, not only in this woman's life, but if we look at this moment as if it is just simply significant only for this certain individual, we're going to miss the point of the story. And the writer, Mark, knew very well that this moment in time is significant. This moment is not simply about this individual, although can I bring to your attention that Mark states it like this. He calls her a certain woman. He doesn't take time to name her. He doesn't take time to gather her name. He doesn't take time to gather any more information than what is necessary to give the readers the pertinent information. We're not going to personalize this today. It doesn't need to be personal. It's just a certain woman. And I can tell you what I feel in the Holy Ghost. There are certain of us that feel like that we are nameless in our generation. There are certain of us that feel like that we have been passed by when the spiritual gene pool was handed out. There are certain of us that feel like because our parents do not have that heritage, because our parents didn't come from this lineage, or perhaps we don't find ourselves measuring up based on X, Y, and Z, that you can classify me if somebody were to write the story of my life. Would my name ever be mentioned? And I know that's in this room tonight. It is a struggle of our generation. We fight comparing ourselves amongst ourselves. We fight ourselves on social media. Although we'll never say a thing, we'll like the photograph. But deep inside, they've got seven. No, this is the hyphen age. That, that's the only things. Those things happen in the younger ages. Oh, it does not. There's a struggle in our generation for identity. There's a struggle in our generation for acceptance. There's a struggle in our generation for achievement. We're there. 
It's who we are. It's one of the things that the enemy knows he can get us with. And Mark doesn't, doesn't portray her as anything but a certain woman. And he doesn't identify her by any other trait than that she had an issue of blood. It wasn't the positive things that would initially identify this woman. It was the negative things. It was the fact that she had issues. This is a generation with calling. This is a generation with purpose. Do you believe it? This is a generation where God is instilling, where God is investing, where God has put pauses on life in order to ensure that his relationship with you can be secure. The positive outcome of a year spent in isolation is that it drew us to an opportunity to spend real time with a real God that has real interest in real future for this generation. This certain woman, Mark doesn't take the time to identify her. Why take the time? We simply need to get to the fact that there was a miracle done. But the writer knew when he was writing this information, although he leaves out her life, he doesn't leave out what she pursued. It will be the hem of that garment. That is what I will touch. And when I touch the hem of that garment, now I want you to understand something. There was a determination in her. There was a realization that once I touch that garment. Everything changes at that moment. When I get a hold of him intentionally, everything changes. I'm no longer trying to throw my opportunity into the wind and see how it comes back. Oh no, not this time. The Bible says she used one of her senses and that sense told her that Jesus Christ was going to be in the mist. What a sad day it is. Telling you I can take your attention to Luke 2. We can see the parents of Jesus Christ. How do you misplace the Christ? It's not your keys. Three days. Where is he? The thought process was is that the men would travel separately from the women. So we have to assume that Joseph thought that Jesus would have been with Mary in that group because of his age. And Mary would have thought that Jesus would have been with Joseph because of his age. And so the two groups set off on a journey and Jesus Christ is not in any of the mist. How do you lose the Christ? How do you not ensure? How do you not put your hands on him? How do you not make sure that the, 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 the word incarnate is not taken care of? How do you not converse one with another? I'll tell you how you don't. You come to a church service where the power of God has been on display. And we're comfortable hearing the sounds. We're comfortable seeing the sights. We're comfortable entertaining. But we don't really have to touch him. We just want him in our midst. We just want to know that we still go to an apostolic church. We still want to know that when we really need the power of God, we can tap in to the, to the supernatural. We just want to know that if we're really in need, that we can step into a divine place. Oh, for a generation that would say to themselves when they heard that Jesus Christ would be there at the mention of his name. 
that they would say to themselves, I'm not leaving until I've got a hold of the Savior. What would it be like for a 20-something, a 30-something, or a 40-something to say to themselves, I need a divine touch from God. I need to be made whole. I need to walk into the presence of the Almighty. And I need to get a hold of that until I walk out a different individual. I know this may seem like it's a little bit superficial at the moment, but if you'll hang with me just a few minutes. What would happen to Ohio? What would happen to those who would follow us? What would happen to those that are gone on before us? What would happen to our age bracket? What would happen if every opportunity we set out on a course and that course was this. I hear he's there, and I'm not leaving until I'm whole. I'm not leaving here until I'm whole tonight. I'm not leaving here until there's no more bitterness. I'm not leaving here until there's no more broken. I'm not leaving here until I'm healed. I'm not leaving here until I am set free. What if I didn't need anybody's validation? I need his approval, not their approval. What would happen to this generation if we would get a hold of him? What opportunities would be created if I could walk into a work environment, a family situation? What would happen if I could walk into my family structure or the church on Sunday and I was a different individual because I determined in my heart that I am not just an apostolic that is broken. I am a whole apostolic that has purpose. She determined in herself that she would be made whole. Can I say that one more time? I will be made whole. I will be made whole. I'm telling you, I tell this to our congregation back in Tulsa all the time. We have got to be intentional. I think we are just a little bit, now this happens in Tulsa, probably not here, but we are just a little bit too timid. We are just a little bit too allowing. I'm telling what would take place if there was a generation that said, I will go and no one is going to stop me from getting to that one that is able to make me whole. I'm telling you what I feel in the Holy Ghost tonight is that God wants to in this service before this weekend is up. He wants to reveal what he's got for you. He wants a word to be spoken into your spirit. There's callings on our life. We can't, the will of God is never going to be found by, by, by just by jumping from lily pad to lily pad. Oh no, oh no, we're going to have to get into an intentional place to say something like this. I'm done. I'm just downright done. I am done. I'm done 
with being. I'm done with not doing. I understand that God has process. I understand that sometimes he refines us. I understand how the fire works. I understand there's going to be pit moments. There's going to be Potiphar moments. There's going to be prison moments. And there's going to be palace moments. I get it. I get that God wants to do and he'll ordain it how he wants. But what he ought to see is me first in line at that starting line saying, I will not stop until I touch the hem of that garment. What would take place in our generation if we could get a hold of that? My God in heaven, who touched me? There's a certain woman that touched you. It was just a certain woman. I find it amazing. This isn't the context of the, of the message tonight, but I find it amazing that Jesus Christ did not identify her as a certain woman. Mark writes the story. I realize that. But as the author, he pins it himself. But he could not misquote the words of the master when after the question was cast and the response was given, it was me, that Jesus looks down at that certain woman and he simply says, daughter, if we had that revelation tonight that I'm a son of God, if we had the revelation that I truly am a daughter of Christ, if I had that revelation that I wouldn't go another night, I wouldn't go another day, the struggles that we deal with, how many of us have built up spiritual shoulders and back muscles that we were never intended to have? Can I tell you, some of us, if we could see ourselves in a spiritual frame, we would be freakishly deformed. We're carrying around things that we should not be carrying around. I'm not naive. I dealt with it. I understand the difficulty of life. If I could be honest with you tonight without taking an eternity telling you my life story, I get it. I didn't grow up in a preacher's home. Nobody in my family ever felt the call of God. My parents didn't know how to deal with it. They didn't know how to usher me. They didn't know how to, to they didn't know what to offer me. They just didn't know. I, I, I was adopted into a family, and, and my parents did the best that they could, and they did a great job. But I'm telling you, I, I carried some things into my 20s. I carried some rejection into my 20s. I was married young, and my wife had to deal with a lot of it. Mom left, dad left. Just an orphan child finally adopted in. And I'm telling you, I, I, I struggled with it. But when I touched the hymn. Now hold on a second. You don't understand what that means to me. When I heard the words, son. I've been looking for those words for a long time. I've been looking for the words, son. Your faith. I needed somebody to say, you did it. I needed somebody to say, you pursued me. I needed somebody to say, I'm validating who you are. I want you to know that I know exactly who and what and where and when. We're carrying around things that we ought not be carrying around. We're strong. This is a strong generation. You probably shouldn't say it behind the sacred desk like this, but I'm jealous of this generation. Not to lose the momentum of the Holy Ghost, but you make me sick. 
I'm serious. You're so talented. It's not flattery, it's just truth. You whiz through high school and college and successful in your careers. I spent the year on the back of a trash truck as a licensed minister. You make me sick. True story. God is truly saving his best for last. I hope you understand that. Every generation, he's equipping unlike the generation prior to him. And I stand here on the sidelines and I clap as you go by. And I root you on and I cheer for you and I want to see the best. But we cannot carry into our 30s or into our careers or into the next month or the next week what God has intended and given us the opportunity to be delivered at a moment. This generation needs freedom. It has the talent. The anointing is there, but it needs freedom. It needs liberty. You need to be liberated from concepts and perceptions to feeling like you have to measure up. Oh no, you're a different generation. Very well, the last leading generation. We don't have to look very far. I'm not a doomsdayer, Caitlin, but you don't have to look far. You see the world falling apart. We ever grow, I was looking, just walking in the airport today, and I thought to myself, my God, is this the way life is going to be from this point on? Are we going to be mandated and masked? Are we going to live in fear and belief? You probably have your thought processes about it, as do I. But as I look at this generation, I can't help but think how close we are to the last days being revealed as the author has so delicately and carefully scripted the life and the history of mankind. And when he did, and we pulled back the curtain, you're there. But the intention of God, oh, there's going to be pain. You don't become a father to Pharaoh without pain. Oh, no. Joseph said, I have become a father to Pharaoh. He spent 13 years without a daddy. But he didn't lose out on the ability to be able to step into the role when it was necessary. Why? Because pain has a way of molding us. And God will use that in order to perfect his creation. But there is something in my spirit to tell this hyphen group tonight. I want to leave you with faith. I want to push you over the edge in your belief system that you are the world changer. But I think that God wants to deal with something. And I can't pour out my anointing in broken vessels. Oh, he'll use them. I get it. But get back on that wheel and allow the potter to just begin to work on you again. <sighs> and I'm tired of it. And I wish that it wasn't just the fact that we're determined to be better. But we're determined to be changed.
I can be better by adding to what is already existing, but it doesn't change what needs to be changed. And God's not just trying to make us better. He's trying to change us, to transform us into the generation that he needs us to be. So the question is going to be asked again to this great congregation. Touch me. Who's the one that will press through tonight? Who's the one that is not there just to take a peek at him? Because I'm amazed that when the question was asked, the response, not of the woman, but of the disciples, everybody is touching you. No. They may be rubbing up against me tonight. They may have reached out, captured just a moment for themselves, but one touched me tonight. And I feel the virtue of the Lord wanting to flow in this house on this night. For I felt, is what he said, virtue flow out of me. That was intentional. When you look at this story, I told you a few minutes ago that this was not just about one individual, but about the rewriting of a concept, of a perception in that day, in that hour. You see, it's unique how this story ties into Isaiah's description in the sixth chapter of his book. When he looks up, When the king dies and he looks up and he catches a glimpse of the Almighty and the angels are casting forth praises about God one to another. It's as if on one side, holy, and then the other side, holy. And then the other side, holy, is the Lord God Almighty. And the cherubims are there, and he sees the great throne of the Almighty, and he is terrorized as he sees the train fill the temple. The correct terminology should be he sees the train filling the temple. Because the victories of God are never ending. And so at that point, He still sees the victorious nature of the king's robe, except for the fact that it cannot be comprehended to the full extent of the king's robe. And so you have to push it down on its real level. And you can understand that as he sees this train, really what he sees is the very hem of the garment, the glory of God. And it's at that moment that Isaiah realizes, ready? He doesn't comment on the holiness of God. He comments on the imperfection of man. It's not me saying how holy God is. It's me saying how unworthy I am. Can I say it one more time? You don't understand what I feel in my spirit. Literally, I feel like the Holy Ghost is tearing tonight. Like he's trying to tear the fabric of something tonight. That's the way I feel in my spirit. I feel like God literally is saying I would tear it forth if there was one. 
I would tear it. I would let it go if there was an individual. I literally feel the tearing of fabric tonight. And Isaiah says, oh, I see, but I'm unworthy. Here's the issue, is that for generation after generation, the concept is, is that when there is holiness, when something that is unholy comes into contact with something that is holy, then it violates that which is holy. The concept is, is that you have to stay a certain distance away as they made those lepers in that day. And you have to basically say, that I'm unclean. I'm unworthy. And so Isaiah follows the pattern of that day and age. And all of a sudden, when he finds himself in that glorious situation, he basically says, oh, I understand what's going on. And so what he says is, I'm unclean. I'm not worthy. I don't want that which is perfect to come in contact with imperfection. With the wisdom of the Almighty. I'm looking for somebody who will go? Oh, not me. Uh -uh. I'm a man of unclean lips. I'm unholy. I'm imperfect. I don't have the ability to do what God is wanting to be done in my generation. God was looking for somebody in his generation that would be willing to take up the baton and to walk on into that generation and be the mouthpiece for the Messiah. Oh, not me. I cannot declare the wondrous birth of the Messiah. I'm imperfect. I'm unclean. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's what he was saying. you got to understand how this is going on. Isaiah is going to prophesy about the birth. He's going to prophesy about the death here in just a little bit. In a few chapters, Isaiah is going to pin some of the greatest prophecies about the Almighty. But at this moment, he understands I'm not worthy to be where I am. And so the Lord has an angel come down with a coal of fire and touch the mouth of Isaiah. And at that point of contact, there is a reversal that takes place. Do you understand? It's not that which is unclean or unholy, making that which is holy imperfect, but rather that which is holy now makes that which is unholy perfect. And God rewrites the script. And we do not see this play out. Are you hearing what I'm saying? We don't see this play out until Mark chapter 5, when that which is unholy says to herself, there was something written about that which is unholy being made holy. That which was unclean being made clean. And so she determines, although she doesn't have the right, although she determines in her mind that I will touch, I will touch. What Isaiah would not even talk about, I'm going to grab a hold of. What the prophet would not even put his hands on, I am going to put myself to it. And she walks down. And she pushes herself through the crowd. 
I can imagine she is disguised. I can imagine she is, she is camouflaged herself to the best of her ability. And she reaches down. Oh, not because that's the only place she could grab. Come on, somebody. It makes for good preaching material, but that's not what this is all about. Oh, she grabbed what she... No, no, no. She had intentions, if I can just touch the hem. And so she was aiming for that which could make unholy holy. And I wonder tonight, somebody in this house would be intentional enough to say, Oh, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. But I'm done. I'm finished hiding. I'm finished giving every dollar, every spiritual ounce, every mental. I'm telling you, we give so much mental real estate to the things that don't matter in life. We, we are consumed with the things that are temporal, and we need to break free of some of that. We need to get into a mind frame that we are that generation. And what would happen tonight if somebody determined in themselves that I am going to touch the Almighty? On this first night, is it okay if the musicians come? On this first night, I wonder if we would take an opportunity if we would take an opportunity to come honestly into the presence of the Lord and we would say, I'm not letting an opportunity pass me by. Who needs to hear the word daughter? Who needs to hear the word son? Who needs to be spoken over to? Well done. It's your faith that has made you whole. And there is a script from the enemy and I'll tell you, I'm tired of it. I'm so tired of it. I'm tired of the bombardment from the enemy. I'm exhausted. My mind is exhausted. I've got to get into a position, into a place where the Lord has freedom in my mind. I wish somebody would believe that you are not only set free, but you can be free. What? That's exactly right. It wasn't until the 1930s during the Second World War that they figured out exactly what to do with long-range bombers. They knew that they were a part of the cause of the completion of the war. Although devastating, they did not realize to what capacity until the transformation of understanding began to take place. It was in the 1930s, the late 1930s, that they realized that it was better to be strategic in bombing than to just go in and, and lay waste to an entire city. London got laid waste to the majority of the European cities. You have an old part of the city and a new part of the city. I believe Prague might be the only one that, that wasn't bombed but most of Europe just was heavily bombed. But here's what they realize about long-range bombers. These fortresses in the sky. They realized that they did not need to waste the energy, the manpower, the fuel. It was expensive. The bombs, they were expensive and few in quantity. No. 
We don't need to lay waste to an entire city. Let us be strategic in our target, right? We'll be strategic. And so here's what they did. They would aim first for strategic military positions. That makes perfect sense. They would take out some of the airports. They would take out some of the main factories, ammunition factories, and so forth. Then they realized that they could cripple the war machine for a minute, but they would, they would rally the nation. It would just infuriate the nation. And so the nation would respond and get behind, and they would all come together. And, and so they, they needed a way to cripple the nation. And they figured it out. The best way to cripple the nation was to aim for the most strategic points in that city that would affect the daily operation and the lives of its people. Don't just aim for military bases. Inconvenience the nation. And the, the goal, here was the goal, the goal was to break the will of the nation. We don't need to lay waste to it. We just break its will. Did you hear that? Oh, I don't need them out of church. No. I just cripple their desire to really fight. Fight for what? Fight for their position. Fight for their anointing. Fight for opportunity. Fight for freedom. That's exactly what our enemy is doing. There's no more time to lay waste to an entire life. In fact, in fact, I would hesitate to think that it would not be more beneficial to his kingdom to have a broken apostolic sitting on a pew with the mindset that I will never be enough. And every time you get a spark, and every time somebody breathes life into you, and every time the Lord comes down and visits you, the strategic nature of the enemy is to come down against the will of the people. I don't need to take the, this generation out. No. I'll just keep them from their greatest God-centered positions. That's it. And if I could keep them from doing what they're called to do. You hear me? That's what the desire of the, the enemy is. I just keep you from reaching your full potential. And we've come tonight. We've come here tonight. Underneath banner, the direction of the Almighty. To join together and to say, that I am intending and I will push until I get a hold of that garment.
is when I get a hold of that garment. You add me to that garment. The train filling the temple would have been the king's robe being added to. And I'm going to be a story for the king. Mark, you don't have to know my name. But you understand what has been established in this New Testament. Now we understand that he is able and he is the Holy One and he is the unique one and he is the perfect one and he is able to make all that which is imperfect, perfect, unholy, whole, unholy, holy. One of you stand with me on this night. Sweet God, visit us in this moment. this house tired of the show I'm tired of the presentation I'm tired of the pretense I'm tired of hiding behind I'm tired of hiding behind the success of my job or the achievements of life oh no I gotta touch the hem of that garment some of us have been called into places divine places places of intercession Some of us have been hiding from ministerial callings, mission fields. Oh. I feel the Savior saying, I wonder if there's anybody that would come and touch me. How many of us are waiting for God to touch you when the opportunity has been reversed tonight? The altars are open. The Holy Ghost is here. I'm telling you, if we give him an opportunity, he would redirect, rechain. He would literally reset us tonight. It's more than just a temporary touch at an altar. No, I don't need that, God. I need, a, I need an eternal change. Come on, somebody. If you don't feel like this is for you, would you join up with somebody else? The Spirit of the Lord is in this house. We're better together. We're more beautiful together. He's trying to heal this generation, to loosen this generation.